So today I'm joined by a very special guest, Felicia Bona, and she will be joining us today on the ins and outs of property renovation. It's good to hear from someone who's experienced in the industry, and I will allow her to introduce herself. Hi, Felicia. Hello. Hi. Uh, it's good to be on this program. I'm really grateful to be called upon to share a little bit of my experience with everyone. My name is Felicia Bona, as she's already said. I'm, a, I'm a, an architect trained, uh, have a degree in architecture. I also am a registered real estate agent uh, in South Africa here, and I have done quite a number of exams in construction management. So I kind of have an idea of every aspect of the property industry. That's Thank exciting. <laughs> That's exciting. I don't know if I'm a geek or something, but I won't lie. Like, property really does excite me. And I was yeah. really eager to hear from you why property, like of all the businesses that you could have gotten into. I know you're an architect, but it's not every architect that eventually ends up practicing as an architect. So It's very simple. Property is a tangible asset. And it's an investment that hedges against inflation because rental usually increases with inflation while mortgage repayments remain stable. And it's also easy to get into. You don't need, you know, you don't need a lot of skills to get into property. You can start at, at whatever level that you're in. So okay. that's why it's property for me. <laughs> okay. So basically purely from a business perspective or is there a bit of passion involved in that as well? Well, the, the, the passion there for me is, is creating something from nothing yes you know yes mainly but it's a serious business because it involves a lot a lot, a lot of cash so do you mind giving us a background as to what countries you've invested in yes uh, i have investment in south africa mm-hmm. nigeria and Ghana, and this is primarily because these are countries that i have permanent access to you know my mom is getting in I am from Nigeria. My father is Nigerian. Mm. To reside in South Africa permanently. So you want to have access to your property, you know. Okay. So what about South Africa? So how did you transition? Obviously, you've given us a background of um, your mum being Ghanaian and you being Nigerian, your dad being yes. from Nigeria. So South Africa as well. Yes. Does it have anything to do with the market in South Africa or was it purely circumstantial? Well, um, the, the relocation to South Africa was basically primarily for work. Okay. You know, I went there to improve my architecture and I got employment there as an architect to improve, uh, you know, a lot of the things I, I knew. Because they're a, a bit more advanced in terms of architecture, you know. So I got a job there and I relocated there just to, that's how I got into South Africa. Okay. And, so in terms of personal investments, like a personal property, have you ever had like a baby project, like something that was absolutely your baby or a few of them that you basically yeah. carried out construction or refurbishment work to add value to the property? Quite, quite a bit. I, I have quite a number of properties. I have, a, I have taken a bite of the property pie. <laughs> and I'm quite happy with it, you know, because you cannot build for someone else and not also do that for yourself. Yeah. Uh, so I have a great home that that I used as like uh, like a sample or more like what I worked on for myself personally to improve the value of the property. Yes. 
Okay. Um, do you have an example of... Um, what I'd like to create is more of a picture story for my listeners. So let's say the first one ever that you bought, like an experience that you'd like to share. Well, I will share this experience. So we bought a home in Johannesburg and uh, we, we looked for a lot of properties in the prime location areas. So we looked at the prices. Most of them were in the price range of 4, 4.5 rands which was quite high for us then, you know. So what we did was this. While looking at that, all that prime uh, location, we also started looking for dilapidated properties, mm. properties that needed a bit of TLC, you know. And that was the way we went. We got a property that was a four-bedroom four house, mm-hmm. and it was a stand of 1,000 square meters. But this was the funny thing. We assessed that area in terms of rates and taxes. And I have a, a small family, you know, I have just two kids and my husband. So we looked at it, our needs, primarily we don't really need more than a four-bedroom house with a, a guest bedroom. So we said, in order to pay for the taxes, it wouldn't make sense for us to occupy thousand square meters. Mm. So what we did was we built a, a cottage and a uh, uh, like a short leg apartment, a two-bedroom short leg apartment next to it, you know, just to add to that, and a one-bedroom full rental apartment unfurnished. And that is how we have been able to, you know, generating more income for ourselves, all our bills on the properties being paid, because we always look long-term, you know, you'll never be rich forever. So <laughs> you want a situation... <laughs> You want a situation where, you know, you don't just occupy and then at the end of the day, you're looking for ways to pay all the bills that will accrue on that property. So that was what we, we did, actually. You know, we never increased the footprint of the of the main house. And that was another good thing. We didn't do foundations, but we also upon what we have had, because foundations can be very expensive, you know. And at the time we were done, the, the real estate agent that uh, sold the property to us, you know, came and offered us to sell it for us and, you know, make another two million in six months. <laughs> After you've done all the so-called dirty work. <laughs> yes. You know, and we're very strict in terms of uh, finishes. Yes. Because there are some things that cannot increase the value of your property. Yes. You know, it's not about finishes as it were, but more of the spaces that you create. Exactly. You know, it's the extra spaces. You, know? you keep it clean, you keep it airy, you re- realize that you will not live there forever. So don't make it too particular to your specific needs. Always, you know, try to remember that, you know, you, will, you might be selling anytime soon. So you want it to be a house that, you know, anyone would love to buy without, you know, making it too, too uh, um, what, what do you call it now, bespoke for your own needs, actually. Yes. So what I'm hearing you say is that as much as you have a personal interest, it's not an emotional decision, like the, the development no. work that you do. No, especially when it comes to myself and when we advise clients as well. For property, you should take emotions out of it, you know. It, it's it's a business, whatever it is, you know, because, like, money is involved. And if you look at it and you say, okay, I want to put a granite slab here, you need to understand why do I need a granite slab here? Is it 
the kitchen counters, it's essential. But do not go around putting marble on the wall. Those don't, they really don't add any functional value to the property. Mm-hmm. Even when it comes to aesthetics as well, you realize that it becomes restrictive to the new buyer. You want it to be so that the new buyer or the new rental or wants to rent or use it can also remodel it easily. So, so that's the thing. It's very interesting that you're touching on this, and um, I think it just shows your depth of experience because I do try and tell my listeners all the time about what adds value and what does not add value, what is cosmetic, what would actually eventually um, increase your investment yield. So um, I'm happy you touched on that. Um, I then have another question. So what would be an ideal property to buy? What would spark your interest being an experienced buyer? What would make you look at a property twice and then go further, bring out money and pay for that property? Okay. I'm going to do two definitions here. There is something we call an ideal home. Mm -hmm. You know, then talking about an investment home. You know, they're two different things. Even though everything ends up being an investment, just be careful to define that before the purchase takes place. If you're looking for an ideal home, there are things to consider. You know, every everybody's specification, what home means is different to everyone. To some people, it's a status symbol. To some other people, you know, you want it to be a hub of social activity. To other people, an ideal home is a place where you can retreat from the pressures of everyday living, mm. you know. And so these are the things you check your lifestyle. So if you're looking for that kind of uh, uh, property, then, then, you know, you're, you're looking more at, okay, what area is it located? Where is it situated and all that? Location is always key because whatever it is you put on that property, always remember that if you put it on, on another area, the cost of construction most times is the same. Mm. So you have to be careful before you say, okay, this is where I want to put my money. You know, look at that area long term. And then the other aspect of property purchase or investment is the investment property. And that is your rental generation, uh, generating uh, property. You know, I would, because I'm also involved in uh, the the marketing and facility management of properties, I always advise people, if you want to get into that that uh, uh, spectrum, you must take stay within the demand uh, margin. And that is the two-bedroom apartment. You know, first of all, it's always important that you stay within that margin because when you go to the bigger, you know, the bigger houses and stuff, mm. then it becomes a bit more finicky. Uh, uh, it takes more to rent it. The property investment starts small, you know, starts with a two-bedroom. That would always be, because it's a, it's a, it's a good market for uh, new, new, new uh, young people to rent. And even people, family can still fit into a two-bedroom. Mm. So the demand for that is really high. Mm. You know, so that is what I would recommend. Do not be, do not be uh, bothered about the location as much. Mm. What you, what, what you want, you want to make sure you address in that purchase is for commuting. Is it close to a lot of the the areas where people who would want to buy or rent, you know, can easily get uh, um, transportation? 
to commute to work, you know. Those are the things that define it. And then lastly, it must be minimal in terms of maintenance. Mm. You know, it's crucial because get a property that you have to maintain every other month, you're not going to get anything out of it. You know, so the finishes are crucial. Take out the, the carpet. No, no, no place must you have carpet. It's easier for you to put tiles. Let the the ocup- occupants put in the comfort that they want, mm-hmm. but give them a clean. <laughs> yes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so you've already given some very useful investor tips, like if you're a first time investor trying to get on the property ladder and into the market, but. Um, I have some more, let's say, more generally personal questions. Like, for instance, if someone wants to get on the property ladder and um, they don't have enough money or they're having to go to lenders, like, what would you advise would be a good starting point? Would you dissuade people from going into um, property investments if they don't have a cash flow? Or would you say, um, don't worry, the lenders are always there to support you? Or what would be your advice in terms of actually getting into the market? Uh, you you would need lenders. Mm-hmm. You should go to lenders. <laughs> but one of the things that lenders look at is your is your profile. Mm. You know, it's always easier to get a mortgage when you have employment. Mm. You know, the the lenders are, they, they they agitate when you're a business owner because your income is not regular. Mm. You know, so. Want to get into that? You you, are, you you want to start up. The first advice I will give to you is try to get a steady income, get a job. You know, because it's always a given. When they see that you have a salary, you know, it's easier for them to work with uh, regular income. Now, once you have sorted that out, you would go to the 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 banks or the lenders or whatever it is, but they also do their valuation. So in terms of affordability, you know, you cannot be earning a certain amount and then you come out and you want to buy something the same amount of what you're earning. Most times it's it's the it's a the rule of thumb that if you're earning ten thousand, you should not be paying back more than thirty percent. And to 33% of that, that's how they check their affordability. Mm. So once you have, now, what kind of properties should you start with? Like I said, start small. You know, that's the only way you can know how to manage your income or your resources. And it has to be a property that you can rent or let out easily. Because that way you don't put a lot of pressure on yourself personally. But if you're looking at uh, renting, I mean, sorry, buying to stay, to live in, then just this is what I will always advise them. What 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 are you paying right now as rent mm. to an, another owner? You understand? Yes. Your mortgage repayment should not be higher than that. You know? Interesting. So that's... <laughs> I, say, I say interesting because um, even though it's fairly obvious... And um, even though um, a lot of people might have heard of the 30, 33% rule, 
Um, I think when it comes to property and being a first-time buyer or someone trying to get into the market, I feel like there's an excitedness that doesn't match reality. I feel like there's this picture that's painted of, oh my God, you know, buying property is an investment. You can do what you want. You can renovate. And so it's really good to hear really good grounded advice. Um, and that's why I said interesting because um, I always err on the side of caution. <laughs> So I'd rather, um, you know, um, give it my best and expect the worst as opposed to, you know, um, expecting the best out of a fantasy perspective and not giving it my best. And the tools required to give um, an investment your best is actually the information gathered, the information that you're equipped with. So I think that makes all the difference. Um, and, and, and just to add to this, you, you know, for, for first-time first buyers or even, you know, Buyers that have been in the in the game for quite a while, you always have to remember this, and I just want to note that property is not a one-time um, thing. Mm. It doesn't end at, at the point of purchase. You know, it's like a baby mm. as well. Maintenance is what keeps that property value. You know, so a lot of times when the purchase is taking place, they're, they're not reminded or it's not brought to their attention that, you know, it's not a one-off thing. You pay for it and then you own it and you don't have to do any other thing. So the cost of maintenance long run as well is also another thing that needs to be considered. Mm. You know, so I just thought I should... So speaking of maintenance and the cost of maintenance in the yes. long term... Um, do you have any um, bad experiences or mistakes that you're happy to share and um, something that would be useful to look out for um, when making a purchase? Maybe something that wasn't so obvious because um, there, were, there was information lacking or something that a first-time buyer could very easily overlook? Yeah. Okay, so for maintenance, like I, I said earlier, if you want to buy a property, try to make sure that you have hard-wearing finishes in the property. You know, stay away from uh, properties that if it was a big property that has a swimming pool that you want to let out. Because at the end of the day, the running cost for maintaining the swimming pool is almost going to make it, you know, a bit difficult to manage that over time. Another thing to look out for is when you go into that property and you look at the structural elements, because most buyers are not, uh, uh, they don't have the, the technical know-how, mm. it's always better to always just try to take someone along with you, mm. you know, before you finally sign that agreement. You know, do not just take a property on face value and pay for it. it. It might cost a little bit to get an expert to look at it with you, but it will save you a lot more in the long run. So that would be my advice, you know, because the, the, those that are into plumbing or mechanical or whatever, it doesn't have to be a lot of people. Just one person that, you know, can see those signs and advise you on, okay, well, this is not a major problem or this is a huge problem. You, it will never go away, you know, and stuff like that. And if you make an informed decision before purchasing. Okay. So if I'm a first-time buyer... And um, I'm just trying to get a foot, you know, through the door, um, proverbially. Yes. Um, 
Can you manage my expectations in terms of the actual reality? What, what is the likelihood that in, in five years, from the first time I buy to the next five years, that I'd own like, you know, four or five properties and um, using, using the investment from the first one, um, using the returns from the first one to put into the second one and the third one. And um, yeah, this, this is an important question in terms of managing, you know, the stickability and what is required long term. Uh, that's a good question. This is this this is, has always been how I operated. When you get a bond or, or you know loans from a bank, remember a property does not belong to you yet. Mm. You know, so that's that's one thing a lot of us forget. You know, yes, we have signed; it's in our name, but the deed and the title deed is with the lender. Mm. You understand. Always important to try to own a property. At least reduce what you're owing. Mm. You know, then it becomes an asset. Because even sometimes, you know, you take some some of the accrued, uh, you know, over what you paid over on, on, on the on the property and use it to buy another. Don't be in a hurry to, you know, buy more properties when the first one doesn't belong to you entirely. Mm. You know, my, my advice would always be, you know, try to pay as much as possible on the first purchase because it's not yours completely. So if you if you were to reduce uh, what you were owing the lender to about 70% mm. or, or 50%, then you're in a better place, you know. So that's the first thing. Then you know, yes, I do own a property. Mm. Now, but when the when when you go when you're in a hurry to own so many, by the time you have a little problem financially, then everything keep, comes crashing down. Wow. So to a first time buy, the first five years, if you if you can pay up the price for the first property in hundred percent, if you can, then you have an asset. And it's from there you can grow. So that, that would be my advice, you know. Okay. Just, just in terms of a thought process, did you, did you think yes. this from the start? Because I'm not sure, because obviously I think um, experience and age has a very big part to play as well. So um, I think my, my listeners are typically between the ages of, um, I would say, 23 to maybe 45. So um, in terms of... Um, <laughs> In terms of um, the advice that you've given right now about not being in a hurry, would you say that's something that you actually knew from the start? Did you know that from the beginning? Or is this something or knowledge that you've gained over time? Uh, uh, it's, it's a knowledge that is proven over time. Mm. But I kind of had a bit, and I'll tell you why. Whenever you're presented with a mortgage mm. and you have the numbers to pay for it, the maths is right there in front of you. Mm. You know, you're paying the lenders sometimes four times the value of what you're lending. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so so that was a reality that hit me where yeah. I'm like, okay, well, nobody pays for something four times. But because it's not, you know, it, the, the, the initial capital is something we do not have. Mm-hmm. We almost think, oh, wow, you know, they're lending it to me, so I must pay them for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Not really. You understand? So the quicker you pay for it, the cheaper your purchase of the house is. Mm. That's another thing. 
And, and then the more the rental income becomes an income to you, because when you're getting 6% of value of a property on rental or 8% if it's really good, and you have to pay back a good portion of that for on interest. And over the, at the end of the year, you realize that the principal has not reduced mm. in comparison to the interest that you've paid. You're actually losing quite a lot of money. You know, so that is why I would always, I, I took that initiative from, from the first time. I looked at the maps and I was like, oh, so I would be paying for a property that is like 500,000 rands. I would be paying maybe 2 million in, in 20 years, mm. you know, and then you go, well, it's escalation and all. But when I took the other, my, the other approach of, okay, in the, in the first five years, I had reduced my mortgage to 20%. Then I started earning income. Mm. You know, so, so those are the things you need to do. In terms of the math, it doesn't make sense to, to take on a loan for that long. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you can afford to, you know, to, to, to be disciplined, to pay for it and own it. Even the, the lenders are more comfortable when you own an asset. Then they can lend you more, you know. So at 23 this is what I would advise a young person. You do not have a lot of responsibilities in terms of uh, financial responsibilities to other people. It's more or less yourself. So that's a good time to put a target on trying to get something as quickly pay- paid off as possible mm. for you getting to have families, uh, kids, and you know all the other things come, come into play there. Okay. So moving on from, because you did mention having discipline to put aside money to try and pay off um, as soon as possible. The next question I would then ask is, in, in terms of your experience, how easy or how smooth is the transition from actually buying to renovating to then um, receiving a rental yield? Because um, I'm just, in, in, in plain terms, I'm asking, when you've bought a property, you've renovated it, um, what is the realistic expectation of how quickly it would rent? I mean, logically, if you buy in prime location, to buy in prime location, you need a bit of money. Um, in order to have um, a bit of money, you either have personal, uh, personal income, you either have uh, money saved away, maybe investment from parents, um, a trust fund, whatever the case may be, and then, of, of course, the part that the lenders play. So when you've put in that kind of money into prime location, because it is prime location, by default, it will be easier to rent. So what if you're just yes. entering the market and you're buying in somewhere that's not prime location? Um, have you had any experiences of buying in an area that is an okay area, but maybe not a, you know, a prime area, and... What is the realistic expectation for actually receiving that yield? Because you spoke about doing the math. So you, you can yeah. put in your investments, you can um, go to lenders, um, sign a mortgage and everything else, but then the property is now refurbished and it's not renting. So yeah. what would be a realistic expectation in terms of actually the point where you start receiving a rental yield? Okay. Uh- I have I've lend I have uh, renovated in remote areas, so so this is a it's, it's something that I know very well. When you buy a property in a location that is not prime, 
and you have put in an investment. Within the next two months, you should be able to get a tenant in. Mm. And I'll tell you why I can say this, because it's something I do every month. And I know that, you know, if you do the right things, try, first of all, not to buy a property that you need to do a lot of renovation on, mm-hmm. you know. But if you do have to do a lot of renovation, because there are two, two ways to look at it. If you do have to do a lot of, lot of renovations on it, you have to also have a time frame before you take on that uh, your task. Mm. Is it how long will this renovation take? You know, because as as long as you're not getting in money and any kind, of, um, you have to pay mortgage back to the lenders. So you have to also have that money sitting somewhere to be able to pay, pay back the lenders once the property has been transferred to you. But from my, my experience, when you renovate a property and you make it as clean as possible, it, it's, it's, this is what I say to myself. Can I sleep in this room? Mm. You understand? Can I cook in this kitchen? You know, and I'm talking about the basics because a lot of times we want people to pay for things that even we cannot, you know, we, we, we cannot uh, live in or, or be comfortable in. Mm. You understand? Are the walls clean? Are the tile clean? Do you have, you know, grout issues? Basic things like that is what keeps properties on the market for quite a while. Mm. But when you have cleaned out the space with minimal resources, and I'm not talking, that's what I'm saying, I'm not talking about marbles and all that stuff, but, you know, it's a clean space. Mm. Most times you would rent it off automatically. And the other thing you have to do is you do your market survey in terms of what is the rental in that area going for? What I do is this. If the rental was going for maybe like a thousand pounds, whatever, I would rent it at a lower price. So it's it's very crucial, at least for for the first six months. You know, Mm. then that way it becomes an advantage to every other person because you need to get that rental as soon as possible. So do not go and put your because you've spent so much money. Uh, if if the next door if the next door that they haven't done any renovation is going for a thousand and you have done so much renovation and you're asking for nine hundred. I have I've had experiences where the tenants in the next house move to the new house. You know so so that's another crucial thing. Mm. So <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very, very, very much. Other than everything you've shared from your wealth of experience, um, if there was one thing or a couple of things that you would basically say as, um, you know, um, points of emphasis to first-time investors or first-time buyers, what would it be? Start early. You know, do not wait till you're very comfortable. Secondly, start small. Mm. You know, that's all, mainly. You know, start early. I have, my daughter is 18, my my daughter is 17, you know, and she's done a bit of commercial for some banks, and I told her she's going to be 18 in November. Mm. And I said, this money, I hope that you would use it to purchase a house. Mm. Even if it's a studio apartment, Mm. you know, that is... That, that would be my advice, you know, start early and start small. You know, don't start in the location because most times they're really expensive. You know, start in the, the not-so-prime location 
but starts Okay. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for your time on this call. Thank you for sharing with us um, information that I wouldn't say is readily available in books. And that's the purpose of this podcast, to bring my listeners information that they wouldn't normally um, get from anywhere else, but at least not in the same way as you speak to someone who has direct experience. So thank you. I do appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure, a privilege. And, you know, I hope that, you know, this podcast would help a lot more people. I have also been, you know, a product of trials and errors. You know, so we will, you will, we will all make mistakes, but I'm encouraging everyone, you know, to just put that foot out there. A lovely day. Thank you. So you have been listening to property investor and developer Felicia Bona, who professionally is an architect registered with the Council of Architecture. She's also registered with the Real Estate Estate Board in South Africa and a member of the Institute of Architecture. She has gone beyond just architectural design and has transitioned into being a developer. If you'd like more information on Felicia or you'd like to follow her on Instagram, her handle is at Licia Bona, L-I-C-I-A-B-O-N-N-A. If you also have any further questions about this episode or anything that you've heard or anything that you've heard in the subsequent weeks, feel free to direct message me on Instagram, chinny at the Tony brand. And if you're an email person, which I still am, despite the social media age, you can email me at chinny at tonyandco.co.uk. I look forward to hearing from you. Enjoy.